And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is August 1st. Michael Beller and Al Melchior here with you. We are beyond the trade trade deadline, our first waiver day after the deadline. And Al... I feel good, you know, because I wasn't traded. We weren't traded. We're still here. We're still here to talk about baseball on The Athletic, my friend. Well, the rumors, it turns out, were not true. So here we are. <laughs> Those are the seemingly the only rumors that weren't true. I can't remember the last time there was a deadline where like almost every single player who was talked about between, oh, he's for sure getting traded, and yeah, you know, there's a chance if the pieces fall right, he could be traded. Every single one of those guys was traded. I cannot remember a deadline like that ever, except for Trevor Story, right. who's just mired in Colorado. <laughs> yep, it's you, me, and Trevor Story. Yeah, right. You, me, and Trevor Story, the only people involved in the baseball world who didn't get traded this weekend. Let's just dive right in, Al. We're going to have a lot of these situations where we're going to talk about the teams that are left behind, and or the players that are left behind and the teams that were active. And we're going to start with the hitters. The two teams that were incredibly active as sellers leading up to the deadline were the Cubs and the Nationals. And so now with the Cubs no longer having Anthony Rizzo and Javier Baez and Chris Bryant, there's a lot of opportunity there. The Nationals, a lot of opportunity on that team as well. You look at the Cubs, you see plenty of playing time coming up for Patrick Wisdom, Matt Duffy, David Bodie. Ian Happ, who's had a really disappointing season, maybe Sergio Alcantara. Uh, you go over to D.C., Alcides Escobar, Carter Keboom, Luis Garcia. These are guys who should be playing basically every day for that team the rest of the way. Looking at that entire group of guys of Cubs and Nationals, who most jumps out at you as someone who we should be going after in fantasy leagues? Well, for me, no question. It's, well, I shouldn't say there, there's a second player, but the one who really stands out is Patrick Wisdom. And yet his situation doesn't really change. I, I think that just the absence of Chris Bryant solidifies his playing time. But uh, I don't think that was really in question if you go back a week or two or maybe even longer ago than that. But uh, I did hesitate a bit because Luis Garcia, I have to admit that uh, I've slept a bit on his AAA performance from this year. And, you know, as is often the case, at least for me, and I think maybe I can speak for some others, that sometimes we uh, don't pay enough attention to players who disappoint the first or the second time around in the majors. Uh, and we're, we're looking at you, Carter Keboom. Uh, <laughs> but Luis Garcia, I think maybe I've slept on him a bit too. And he's really put up some nice power numbers in the minors this year. So I think he's somebody that I need to be taking a closer look at. Yeah, Patrick Wisdom definitely uh, doesn't really change all that much. He was basically playing every day anyways, even before all these trades. So now it's just a guarantee that he's going to play every single day. And he's going to pick up first base eligibility along the way as well. So watch out for that. He's been playing pretty much entirely third base. Has played a little first. But now with Rizzo on the Yankees, he's going to be playing a good amount of first base. So he's going to pick that up in probably about a week or so. So uh, definitely keep an eye on that. I would agree with you. The rest of the Cubs, they're going to be playing Duffy. Bodie, Alcantara, um, Rafael Ortega, those guys are going to be in the lineup. I would need to see something from them before I actually was active on getting them. So those two teams have made some big moves. One of the bigger moves for the Nationals also, of course, was getting Kiebert Ruiz in the big Max Scherzer Trey Turner deal. And so now Kiebert Ruiz comes over to Washington. We'll talk about Josiah Gray in a second here, too. But uh, Ruiz just having an excellent year at AAA. 311, 381, 631. The, the Dodgers seemingly just stack catcher prospects like nobody's business. 16 homers in that time as well. He is not up with the Nationals yet, but this is a matter of time, right? I would think so. I don't know what more he would have to do in the minors. Might as well bring him up uh, maybe in September, hopefully sooner. And as you mentioned, uh, stockpiling catcher prospects. So they also picked up Riley Adams, a little bit perplexing, maybe. I don't know if <laughs> one of them moves off of the catcher position, but uh, I'm sure they'll figure it out in D.C. And, and Ruiz is definitely the one of those two to prioritize, I think, uh, you know, if you're speculating rest of season. 
we're sitting here on Sunday. You're going to be making moves today. Let's say that we that the Nets don't make a call up in the next couple of hours. Are you comfortable going after Ruiz today, even if he's maybe a week or two away? Oh, I think now is the time that you have to do that. Unless, of course, if it's a league uh, like our Tout Wars leagues where you have to actually start the player that you pick up in that week. And even then, <laughs> you know, depending on the depth of the league, it might be worth it to take the zero, at least in some cases. Uh, but yeah, in every other league, now is the time. Cesar Hernandez is one of these guys, we're going to talk about a few along these lines, who have just stubbornly low roster rates. Because Cesar Hernandez, we've talked about him a few times. He's had a really nice season so far in Cleveland. And talk about an upgrade for him going from Cleveland to Chicago, joining the White Sox. I mean, you think about that lineup that he was hitting in with Cleveland all season, and now suddenly he finds himself slotted in between Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu, hitting second for the White Sox. Uh, maybe you, you could make the argument that he got the biggest environment upgrade uh, from lineup to lineup with the trade that was made for him. I, I just think that there's an element of any league where he's going to be rostered, he already is to this, but... I feel like he should be on the radar in way more leagues than he is right now. Oh, he absolutely should be. Should be rostered. At this point, I think, to close to everywhere. Maybe not mm-hmm. 10-teamers. 10, 10 I think you can make an argument against that. Otherwise, I'm not sure why Cesar Hernandez would be sitting on waivers uh, anywhere else uh, after this trade. So, yeah, in 12-team leagues, he's got to be picked up. Just an excellent run-scoring environment for Hernandez the remainder of the season. Another second baseman stepping into uh, more playing time here is Rodolfo Castro in Pittsburgh. He should be playing every day, and he has been playing a lot ever since the team sent Adam Frazier to San Diego. He's got pop, five homers and 34 plate appearances. And you, you look back over his minor league profile, and the power does seem legit. You might not get a whole lot else the rest of the season other than playing time and power, but... Where is that enough for you, Al, to want to go after him? Uh, Probably 15 teamers, and I I know that he's already been picked up, uh, at least in some of mine already, but uh, I'm I'm just not convinced about the overall production from Castro, and obviously the environment there is is not (laughs) ideal either, so I'm a bit lukewarm on him. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think 15-team mixers feels like the the right spot for him. And again, even, I mean, maybe three teams in a 15-team mixer would actually be trying to bid on him. But I do think there's a spot for him in most leagues because that power is intriguing and he's going to be playing every day for the Pirates the remainder of the season. Uh, Rowdy Telez looked like someone who was maybe going to play every day for the Brewers the rest of the season or something close to it. I think his playing time inevitably is going to take a little bit of a hit with the Brewers acquiring Eduardo Escobar um, from Arizona before the deadline. I, I think one of the best trades that was made. Um, you're not, obviously, not going to grab the headlines the way that Max Scherzer or Trey Turner or Chris Bryant is going to grab the headlines, but you know, they improved both of their corner infield spots. Milwaukee did by trading for Eduardo Escobar. So Telez maybe takes a small playing time hit, but I still think there's plenty of value here. I still feel like he can be something along the lines of a, you know, six homer, 15 run, 18 RBI guy the rest of the season. And there's going to be plenty of value in that in most leagues. Where are you looking at him or where would you be looking at him if you needed the help of the player that Telez can provide? Yeah, not 12 teamers, but I think we're looking 14, 15 and deeper for, for Telez. And I'm honestly, I'm surprised that he's still entrenched there as the starter because it made a lot of sense for me, for uh, the Brewers maybe to go out and get somebody like Jesus Aguilar. Didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, yeah, it looks like he's he's the guy there. And I think that those estimates, uh, projections that you made for rest of the season are very, very reasonable. And that'll that'll play in a 14-teamer. Yeah, maybe he loses a, a tiny bit of time. Maybe he uh, loses an at-bat here or there as a defensive replacement with Eduardo Escobar shifting over to first and Luis Arias getting in at third base. So that's where the playing time concerns come in, but not overwhelming to the point that he shouldn't be gone after in fantasy leagues. Lamont Wade Jr., Al, someone who we've talked about quite a bit in this space, someone who has been dealing with playing time concerns all season and has still been hitting despite those playing time concerns. I got very, very excited, a Cubs fan in me. You know, if all these guys were going to go, when that trade to San Francisco for Chris Bryant was first reported reported as Lamont Wade and uh, Joey Bart, I was very excited. Then I was crestfallen when uh, that proved to be untrue. Lamont Wade remaining in San Francisco in the part-time role. Where and what sorts of leagues and what shapes of leagues can you live with the part-time role for the rest of the season, given what he has been doing consistently when he's been in the lineup for this team? In weekly leagues, I can definitely live with him on my roster, uh, 14 teams and, and deeper. 
uh, just because I think that for the weeks where the Giants face a lot of righties that you're going to want them in your lineup. But uh, I've got him in a 12-team daily uh, lineup uh, league, and that's just ideal. I mean, he's really the perfect kind of player for that sort of setup. So uh, any kind of daily league, I don't think you have to worry about depth um, as long as there's a righty on the mound against the Giants. Wade should be in your lineup. Darren Ruff, his teammate, also someone who has remained in the lineup despite the trade of Chris Bryant. Now, the trade happened on Friday, so Bryant obviously was on the other side of the country in D.C. with uh, the Cubs at the time of the trade. And then he wasn't in the lineup yesterday. have to imagine we see Chris Bryant make his San Francisco debut later today. But perhaps Ruff won't be affected by it. We know that Chris Bryant is a versatile guy, can move all over the diamond. But it looks like the Giants can pretty easily slot him in at third base as a regular position for him. So when you look at Darren Ruff, do you feel as though he maybe is protected against Chris Bryant's return, at least to the extent that he's still going to be playing, and maybe not every day, but five out of seven games, something along those lines? Yeah, no, that would be my expectation too, at least until Evan Longoria comes back, and I'm not sure what the timetable is there. So in, in the short run, yeah, I think Ruff's got something close to a regular job, and I think it's more likely that you see uh, Donovan Solano or maybe Wilmer Flores seeing their playing time mm-hmm. impacted rather than Ruff or Lamont Wade Jr. for that matter. So with what Ruff has done in the playing time that he's had and the playing time that looks like he'll have uh, going forward, uh, he's available pretty much everywhere in mixed leagues right now. So I'll be looking to add him a lot of places this weekend. It'll be really interesting to see uh, what the Giants do with with uh, Chris Bryant and how Gabe Kapler wants to use him because we know he played all over the diamond his entire tenure in Chicago and took that to another level this season. And so you look at you know someone like Alex Dickerson hitting 217, 286, 401. Maybe he starts losing playing time with Bryant shifting to the outfield once Evan Longoria is back or you know even guys like Wilmer Flores sticking in the lineup. So right, Bryant's going to be one of those handful of guys on this San Francisco team who's playing every day and then the other pieces are going to have to fit around him. Uh, let's look at uh, another guy who got traded before the deadline, Abraham Toro, going from Houston to Seattle. One of those great stories where the teams were playing each other, so all he had to do was go across the hall to the other clubhouse and uh, meet all his new teammates, hit a couple of home runs against Houston after the trade, so take that, you guys. Um, he's going to be playing every day, I think, Al, right? I, I mean, that's that, that's going to be the case for him, and it has been the case for him with Alex Bregman out, but now, for sure, the playing time in Seattle is locked in. Can he be a you know five homer, fifteen run, fifteen RBI, two steal sort of player the rest of the season? Because if he can, I think that's going to play in fifteen team mixers. I if if he does worse than that, I would be really disappointed because I do think that the playing time is going to be there for Toro. I think that the potential for the home run and the run production for him is. I, I always feel like that's a floor for him with five homers mm-hmm. and, and fifteen runs in RBI over the last couple of months. So. Yeah, I, I think that definitely plays in 14-teamers and uh, and deeper, to be sure. Yeah, we've seen it from him this season. He's always He's been a guy who's had that talent, and you know now that he's getting a chance to play, we're seeing it flourish a little bit. Love the fact that uh, he's going to get himself that everyday opportunity now in Seattle, and maybe an interesting guy to revisit uh, in drafts next season when we're going into a year knowing he's going to be a regular rather than you know like a third share, not even, of a part-time, what he was looking at in Houston at the start of this season. Miles Straw also got sent out of Houston at the deadline. He goes to Cleveland. Also a a player who should be seeing his playing time increase and see his playing time floor stabilized going over to Cleveland. We know, I think, what to expect out of Miles Straw for the remainder of the season. We can hope for the hit tool to get better in the future, but for this season, you're basically just buying for the speed. How much do you want that speed for to get Miles Straw on your team this weekend? Well, I don't feel like this really changes his uh, fancy value all that much, um, which is to say that I would love to have Miles Straw in my lineup. So uh, maybe, the, I mean, you could argue maybe that the value goes down slightly because of the environment, but, um, you know, should get, like you said, plenty of playing time. The steals will come for Miles Straw. So I think in 12-teamers where that's a category where you have a need, I think Straw is relevant there. And I think pretty much, regardless of need, he's relevant just about in anything that's deeper than that. And I would also say that uh, the the big impact, too, with him being on the move is Chaz McCormick getting a little bit more playing time with the Astros and making him a little more relevant maybe in 15-teamers. 
Yeah, definitely someone to consider in 15-teamers. And if you are someone looking for speed and uh, straw is not available to you or you need to place a contingency bid, Gerard Dyson back into some more regular playing time in Kansas City with uh, with just some of the, the at-bats opening there. Jorge Soler going to Atlanta, and obviously Soler was mostly DHing, but there's just going to be more available time for the pool uh, of uh, outfielders in Kansas City. So Gerard Dyson, seven homers in 107 plate appear or seven steals, excuse me. <laughs> Does he even have seven Oh, yeah, you know, he had the he had that seven homer season a couple of years ago, but uh, a uh, seven steals in 107 plate appearances for Gerard Dyson. Even at 36 years old, the dude is stealing plenty of bases. So uh, someone who you can maybe look to if you do need speed. Brendan Rodgers and CJ Crone, a couple of teammates uh, in Colorado who are both still widely available. This is similar to what we talked about with Cesar Hernandez. Stubbornly low roster rates for guys who just should be um, more widely rostered across the fantasy universe. Is there any sort of league, Al, where you wouldn't be adding these guys if they're available? I'd say 10 teamers, but that's a, a far cry from where you're not going to be able to get them. I was shocked this morning, uh, Michael, looking at the roster rates for Brendan Rodgers. On Yahoo and ESPN, he's almost completely unrostered. I, I don't even know how to wrap my head around that, but there's two home series for the Rockies this week, three games against the Cubs, three games against the Marlins. Those are great opportunities for both Rodgers and Crone to have good weeks. They're the kind of players that uh, you should be happy to stash when they're on the road. And uh, yeah, both of them are relevant in 12-team leagues. Yeah, that Cubs series, they are going to get a Jake Arrieta start uh, in Colorado. So, I mean, just just fire them up. I mean, that, one, <laughs> that, start, that start alone could be worth having these guys on your team for the entire week, getting to go up against arguably the worst pitcher in baseball at Coors Field. That's going to be a very nice spot for Rodgers, Crone, and the entire Rockies offense. But yes, these are two guys who widely deserve more attention in the fantasy world. Uh, one deep league consideration here is Phil Gosselin before we move on for the, from the hitter group, Al. Uh, he's just been, <clears throat> excuse me, this is something you pulled out, uh, hitting third behind David Fletcher and Shohei Otani while Jared, Jared Walsh is out. And, you know, he's been hitting third enough to the point that we can, you know, basically assume that that's where Joe Madden's going to slot him uh, until uh, proven otherwise. So, you know, Jared Walsh out, you know, still no timetable for Mike Trout's return to this team. Phil Goslin as a number three hitter, what sort of deep league are you looking at him in? I'm going to be looking at him, I'd say, at minimum as a contingent bid in my 15-teamers. Uh, just, you know, for the run production possibilities. I think, you know, probably can help with batting average too. And yeah, this is probably a short-term proposition. Mm-hmm. I don't know when Jared Walsh is coming back, but I think with that intercostal strain, could could be a little while. So uh, you figure at least minimum for this week that uh, Goslin's going to be useful in, in some of those deeper leagues. And, and maybe it's going to be an even longer-term thing. Definitely could be. And again, yeah, the intercostal, probably at least a week away. And again, Mike Trout, no timetable. Got to assume he's at least a couple of weeks away still as this stubborn calf injury just won't let him get back on the field. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's move on to the starting pitchers now, Al. And Josiah Gray is the first guy who I want to talk about. He's actually going to have a two-start week, almost certainly, for Washington, getting Philly and Atlanta uh, in his first full week with the Nationals. This was someone we've talked about a little bit already. We talked about him when he was in L.A., and the one thing we were concerned about was... 
you know, what's exactly the role going to be over the remainder of the season, especially since we thought that Washington was going to, or that Los Angeles was going to be potentially active in the trade market. They sure were. And one of them that sent Josiah Gray across the country to DC, where we know what his role will be the rest of the season. Um, I think this is a guy who you pick up and you just, you, you have for the rest of the year. I do think that this is not just a two start week sort of guy that we're looking at. I want Josiah Gray on my teams. Where do you want him on your teams? Yeah, I'd be fine with picking him up in 12-teamers and obviously deeper than that. I'm not really comfortable with starting him in those shallower versions this week. Sure, I'd probably let him roll in 14, 15-team leagues. But those matchups are potentially pretty tough. And plus, I just, you know, I want to see him get a couple starts under his belt uh, to just see... You know, we haven't seen him that much in the majors yet. See how he adjusts and performs and go from there. But I'd rather get him now than regret it a week or two from now. Yeah, definitely. And I agree with you. If you if you don't have to throw him right out there against Philly and Atlanta, then maybe you can uh, take a step back off the throttle with him. But yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch him over these next couple of months and see what sort of pitcher uh, he might be for the Nationals and see where we can uh, start thinking about slotting him in twenty twenty two rankings. Tuki Toussaint uh, is going to get one start this week against the Cardinals. That will be a start in St. Louis. We've talked about Toussaint, I think, on our last two episodes here. And, um, you know, a guy who, uh, when he isn't walking everyone in the park, has actually been pretty effective. And he's been able to do that. He's been able to avoid the walks. And so we're starting to see the stuff really flourish for Tuki Toussaint. I think it's uh, an easy stream this week against the Cardinals. That's going to be a Thursday start, most likely. Atlanta hasn't officially announced what their uh, rotation looks like for the coming week, but it's looking like a Thursday start for Toussaint. Like him there. Do you like him beyond there, Al? Uh, You know, I think it sort of depends on the start, to be honest, because he is coming off of a rough start, and I may be a little less optimistic when you say it's an easy stream. I think I go ahead and roll with Toussaint because of the matchup, but with a little bit of trepidation and definitely looking at my alternatives in in my 12-team leagues for sure. And then we'll, we'll see where we take it from there. Um, Tristan McKenzie is a guy who we've talked about also over the last couple of shows and similar problems to Tuki Toussaint, right? Uh, a guy who, when he's not walking everyone, can really, really look good. I like him as a uh, as a project for the remainder of the season. I don't love the matchup that he's got this week. He's going to get one start against the Blue Jays, and that's an offense that we pretty much want to avoid at all costs. So, yeah, I'm excited about what he could do the rest of the season, but I don't want to have to play him this week. So if I'm thinking about picking him up, I would only do so in leagues where I don't have to throw him right to my lineup. How about you? Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that, uh, and we'll see how he goes uh, against the Blue Jays. But not not terribly optimistic here, uh, and I think you got enough other options that you don't have to have you know too much FOMO if you wind up missing out on McKenzie uh, because of that matchup this week. He's still just he's striking out so many guys, and that's obviously always going to uh, grab your attention. 79 Ks in 63 and one-thirds innings for McKenzie this season. So a guy who, I think I already said this to you on last week's episode, or maybe it was two weeks ago, Al, but I just, I'm going to be all over Tristan McKenzie next season. I'm, I'm just so certain of it with, with the stuff that he has and with the Cleveland pitching infrastructure. We've seen them build up so many guys over the last decade or so, going back to Corey Kluber. Uh, I just really, I believe in the player and I believe in the organization to the extent that I'm going to have plenty of Tristan McKenzie next, uh, next year. He is coming off a Tough start, six runs in four innings against the White Sox, his last trip to the mound. No no shame in getting knocked around by the White Sox, but not going to really chance things against the Blue Jays. How about John Gray? He remained in Colorado. He was a guy who was rumored to be on the trade block, but he is still a Colorado Rocky. He's going to get one start this week against the Zombie Cubs. It is in Coors Field, but it's not a lineup that you fear as much as you did as recently as four days ago. Can you get on board with John Gray in that Coors Field start, Al? Oh, I am on board. And I don't really fear Gray and Coors Field, uh, even with a tougher opponent uh, at this point this season, because I, I don't know what's going on there with him and Herman Marquez uh, doing so well, and Austin Gomber as well, doing so well at home this year. But at this point, after four months, I'm, I'm just rolling with it, especially against an opponent like this. Yeah, we have seen a lot of reverse splits from those Colorado Rockies pitchers. John Gray is one of them, and so definitely not 
too worried about that course field outing against a team like the Cubs. I mean, we talked about all those guys right off the top of the show who are going to now be regulars. Matt Duffy, David Bodie, those are not bad guys to turn to as fourth in, or as uh, fifth infielders or fourth outfielders or something along those lines, but. They're going to be everyday players for the Cubs the rest of the way, and that means we might be looking at a new team to stream against the rest of the year. Tarek Skubal's had a couple of rough outings his last two trips to the mound. Four runs on seven hits and five and two-thirds against the Orioles. Five hits in five runs in five innings against the Royals his time before that. He's someone who obviously we know has been a bit of a yo-yo this season. There's been plenty of good. There's been a little bit of bad. I think there's been more good than bad, especially uh, in that uh, stretch uh, in like May and June when he was really mowing teams down and gives you a lot of confidence of where he could go next year. Wouldn't be a surprise if fatigue were setting in with him, Al, at this stage of the season. It's a tough matchup against Boston. A lot of signs are pointing us away from Tarek Skubal, but I wanted to talk about him just because of the fact that there is still some sort of name brand recognition with him and something to like down the line. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Long term, you know, really very excited about Tarek Skubal. But you know, like you said, it's been a yo-yo season. The thing is that it's it's been a, a lumpy kind of yo-yo season. It's not like a bad start here, a bad start there. It was not very good early on lights out in the middle of the season and now an extended stretch where he's just again giving up far too many home runs and not getting a lot of swing and miss and that was something that was there even earlier in the season so at this point I'm playing wait and see with Tarek Skubal and really considering him for a drop if he's got another bad start or two coming up nine homers allowed in his last five starts and that includes three apiece in those outings against the Orioles and the Royals so maybe for a guy who is uh, obviously setting career highs across the board in terms of innings and batters and pitches and all that maybe fatigue starting to set in and that would be you know no knocking on him whatsoever it's a long long season as he is learning for the first time this year let's look at the uh, Rays because they've got a, a home series with Seattle this week, and we know that that can be a pretty good spot. Luis Patino and Josh Fleming are both going to get sp- uh, starts in that series. How interested are you in those two race starters? Well, Patino, now that you know he went uh, a little bit deeper the last time out, uh, I really like him a lot uh, for that matchup against Seattle. Josh Fleming, I think that's more of a deep league option. I'd say probably even deeper than 15 teams for me. Mm. Um, so we're looking at very deep mixed leagues and, of course, AL only where he's probably unavailable anyway. Uh, right. But Patino, somebody I'm looking at uh, pretty much any league that's got more than 12 teams. Yeah, love that. And a guy who I, I still I, – I've brought it up when we've talked about him. He's someone who I want to believe in as a keep-on-my-roster sort of guy. The rest of the season, he hasn't quite gotten over that hump. We know he's going to get over that hump. Maybe that doesn't happen until opening day 2022. But I still want to take the shot on him getting over that hump and being that kind of guy. And I, I don't know. It just – it feels like Luis Patino's got some playoff heroics in him eventually. He just – he's he's that kind of guy. This is that kind of organization. It just feels like – like he's got some, you know, great playoff moment in him down the line this year. Assuming they get there, which I think is a relatively safe assumption at this point. How about Paulo Espino, Al? Um, you know, a guy who just stubbornly keeps on getting it done, even though he hasn't struck out a ton of batters. Did strike out uh, six batters in five and two thirds, I believe, is the exact number. Uh, his last trip to the mound. He's going to get one start this week. It's against the Phillies, so. You know, not a great matchup, certainly not a bad matchup either. I guess somewhere right in the middle there, and we know that there is some pop, there is some intimidation in that Philadelphia lineup. Uh, do you look at him as a one-start streamer this week? Uh, deeper leagues, deeper leagues. But, you know, it's he's an interesting guy, like you said, not typically getting a lot of strikeouts, but it's almost like clockwork. Like you, I'm just going to say right now, I'm going to predict five innings, five hits allowed, two runs, one walk and four strikeouts. Like he seems to be hit that every single time within maybe, you know, one number, uh, give or take. Uh, so he doesn't walk a lot of hitters, um, has been able to prevent runs and that's good enough. So it's still not quite enough for me in 12 or maybe even 14 team leagues, but, uh, 15 teamers absolutely in play with a one start week. Zach Thompson also going to make one start this week. He's going to make his start against the Mets. And, and Zach Thompson is another one of these guys, Al, who's just like sort of came up with, 
you know, not a ton of fanfare earlier this season when the Marlins first brought him to the majors, and he's just been kind of quietly good, really, the entire time that he's been up in the majors. You're looking at a guy who's got a 2.33 ERA and 38 and two-thirds innings, 41 strikeouts against 14 walks. Last trip to the mound, he held the Yankees to just one run on three hits and five and two-thirds. Before that, three runs on six hits in five innings against the Padres, which, like, if that's your bad outing, you're totally going to live with that. He's just been, you know, this quietly effective guy in a Marlins rotation that has built itself into being, you know, potentially a contender next year, depending on what they do in the offseason. For Zach Thompson getting one start against the Mets, how interested are you in him this week? I'm pretty interested. I, you know, I have to kind of shift gears here in terms of my perception of the Mets because for a while, with when they had everybody out, they were mm-hmm. a team to stream against. That has not been the case for quite a while now. So right. that that matchup does scare me enough that I wouldn't feel comfortable starting Thompson in a 12-teamer. But yeah, 14-15 and beyond that, uh, I would start him without hesitation. And yeah, like you said, he's out there uh, incredibly. So uh, definitely one of the top players to be looking for this weekend. It's going to be, yeah, I'm very, in. this is this has basically nothing to do with what we're actually talking about in this show, but you know what, I'm in the host chair, so I'm just going to say it, <laughs> I'm very interested to see what this team does in the offseason, with all the pitching talent that they're bringing back, with the money they're going to have to spend, uh, with guys like Jazz Chisholm already on the roster, starting to build something, like, this could be, this is a team to watch in free agency this offseason, all the talent that's going to free agency this offseason. Marlins could be a player next year if they make a a splash signing or two over the winter. Uh, Let's get to one more guy here before we move on to the two-start pitchers. Reed Detmers getting up with the Angels. Uh, He's going to make a start. It's against the Dodgers, so not exactly the landing spot you would hope for, but we know what their ceiling is on Reed Detmers and also have to believe that you don't yo-yo Reed Detmers. If he's up, he's up. How interested are you? Very, very interested in picking him up uh, pretty much everywhere. Uh, of course, the, the start against the Dodgers, I do not want to start him, if at all possible, this coming week. He is going to make that de- debut, as you mentioned, on Sunday. It's against the Athletics, who have been one of the worst offenses over the last month or so in the major leagues. So mm-hmm. we could get lulled into a full sense of uh, security <laughs> if he does well against Oakland. So I would sit him next week, but I, I definitely want Detmers on my roster. And there could be a lot of interest, uh, especially if he does do well against Oakland. Yeah, that is going to be a, you know, that's a potential, that's a needle mover, right? And a lot of the pitchers that we talk about at this stage of the season, we're talking about streaming them because they have good matchups. We're talking about streaming them because they have two starts. Reed Detmers is the sort of guy who could be a real needle mover. Doesn't matter how many starts he's gotten a week. It might not matter the opponent. Definitely keep your eye on that Oakland starting pretty much regardless of uh, of how he does against the A's. You're going to want to be making a play for him in uh, all leagues across the board. Let's look at some two-star pitchers here, Al. There actually are a ton of options this week. I'm going to highlight a few, and then we can just sort of lump some of the rest of them together. Madison Bumgarner, he's going to get two starts. They're not the easiest starts in the world versus San Francisco at San Diego. That's a couple of very tough matchups and one offense in San Francisco. That got better with the addition of Chris Bryant. Uh, But it's two starts, and Madison Bumgarner has uh, been decent enough to at least be on the radar when he's getting two starts. Is it decent enough for you to to, uh, chance it in these two tough matchups? Not really. And he has been better since coming back, even with the reduced velocity. But I have to admit, it still just makes me nervous. And especially with matchups like these coming up, I'm going to take a hard pass on Madison Bumgarner. Hard pass on Madison Bumgarner. I think I'm there with you as well. Would love love him in a two-start week, uh, not necessarily against San Francisco and San Diego. That's about as tough a two-step as you could look at. Someone else who's got a tough two-step is Zach Davies, uh, and I want to bring him up just because we talk about Zach Davies a lot, and Zach Davies, I think, deserves to be talked about as at least a streamer basically any time that he is taking the mound, and certainly when he's taking the mound two times in a week. This week, however, we've already talked about this a few times, the Cubs begin their week in Colorado, so that's going to be a tough spot, even going up against that Rockies lineup, pitching in cores, never easy. Then they return home to play the White Sox, so he's got a very tough assignment over the weekend as well. Is there any way you're trying to talk yourself into this two-start week? Big oof for me. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, I'm staying away. Yeah, you have to. We have to talk. People are going to see a two-start week for Zach Davies and see what he's done recently and feel like, yeah, this could be a decent spot, but Colorado, White Sox, 
that's a very, very tough two-start week for Davies as well. On the other side of that Cubs-Rockies series, however, Kyle Freeland is going to be uh, making a couple of starts this week. He'll get the Cubs to kick the week off, and then he'll get the Marlins. Both core starts. You're not really afraid of the lineups. This feels like a, uh, a push-the-yes button for me here. I think so, too. And, again, have to, to cop to being still a little nervous about starting Freeland at Coors Field. But, boy, he's been really, really good now for like a month, month and a half. So yeah. with these matchups, I yeah, I, I pretty much do too. Like I said, I'm going to be a little nervous about it, but I'm going to go. To, I've already picked him up in one league, going to try to pick him up in some others. And, and I, you know, I'm going to pick him up. This is the time to use him. Yeah, definitely. This is a, a, as good a spot as you could hope for. Obviously, the core is not necessarily, but two solid matchups uh, against the Cubs and the Marlins for Kyle Freeland, a guy who's been pitching very well for four to six weeks here. Willie Peralta has also been pitching pretty well in the recent term. A tough start to begin his week against the Red Sox, a much softer spot over the weekend in Cleveland. How interested are you in getting Willie Peralta for these two starts? Uh, not very, uh, just because of that Boston start. And I feel fine with Peralta with two good matchups, but mm-hmm. with this kind of mixed bag and him coming off of, uh, I think, possibly his worst start of the season, uh, yeah. I, I'm just a little too nervous about trusting him this week. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. If uh, this, is, this is one of those things where I wish he had a one-start week and it was against Cleveland. right? If we could just get rid of the Boston start... I would love having him as uh, as a streamer in that uh, outing against Cleveland, but having to deal with the Boston start, that's a tough one. I'm sure you and I will be talking about him, or maybe it'll be you and DVR. No, no, no. DVR's moving across the country. It will be you and me later this week talking about Willie Peralta potentially as that one-start streamer when we get to the weekend. But uh, for now, if you got to get him for both starts, that Boston one definitely looking a little bit rough. How about Tyler McGill, Al? Uh, seven starts made this season, a 2.04 ERA and 1.10 whip in 35 and a third innings. He's got 39 strikeouts against 11 walks. Again, like, we're not going to write the guy's career story after seven starts, but you can't look at these seven starts and say he hasn't been impressive. So that right there puts him on the radar. At Miami and at Philly are his two starts this week. This is another one that I feel pretty good about, someone who I will be chasing as a two-star pitcher. Where are you at on McGill? Oh, for sure. No, let's let's go. Uh, he needs <laughs> to be started pretty much everywhere. And here's the contrast with Willie Peralta because it's a mixed bag for him as well. Uh, starts with the, you, you like to see the easy start first in case there's maybe some kind of Agreed. juggling in the rotation. Uh, yep. So that's a nice little bonus. But you don't need that with Tyler McGill. Uh, he'll be fine, I think, against the Phillies and uh, 100% trust all the way here. Yeah, there we go. Tyler McGill, we are definitely in on as a two-star pitcher this week. Andrew Heaney? Made the move from Los Angeles to New York at the trade deadline. He will get a two-start week in his first week with the Yankees against the Orioles and the Mariners. You love those matchups, Al. Andrew Heaney maybe doesn't fit a New York uh, Yankee Stadium all that well with what his game is. And uh, these are two starts at home. But how do you feel about him going up against those two teams this week? I don't feel great about it. I mean, the Mariners are a pretty good uh, hitting team on the road, and you give them a nice venue like uh, Yankee Stadium, and I think it makes it a potentially explosive start in a bad way. And the Orioles, too, like they've got a really uh, pretty good record of hitting it at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. I would think that that might translate to Yankee Stadium. So I don't really like these matchups. Even on the surface, they look pretty enticing. Don't really like them, so I'm going to pass here. I think I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, just too much up and down from Andrew Heaney for me to trust him in his first two uh, home starts at Yankee Stadium. Again, a, a park that would just seem to not play very well to the sort of pitcher that Andrew Heaney is. Ranger Suarez getting in the Phillies rotation and is going to get a two-start week to kick things off at Washington and against the Mets. Suarez has been very effective this year in basically whatever role the Phillies have asked him to fill. Do you think he can keep that effectiveness moving into the rotation in these two outings? I think he can. And the biggest issue here is how deep he's going to go in because he obviously has some stretching out to do. I uh, like the matchups pretty well. As I said before, the Mets are not an easy matchup, but he starts with the Nationals, uh, which is a pretty nice matchup at this point, uh, Juan Soto notwithstanding. So um, deeper leagues, you figure you're, you're double dipping here, and maybe between the two starts, maybe Suarez can get seven or eight innings, and, and between the two of those, then you've got you know the equivalent of one really good start, and I, I feel good about that. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's exactly the way 
to look at this situation. And it'll be interesting to see if they if they're going to keep him in the rotation. Do they stretch him out, and does he suddenly become you know a a six inning guy or a guy who's at least capable of going six innings when he is throwing the ball well? We'll have to keep an eye on that with Suarez uh, as he gets into Philly's rotation. Johnny Cueto is going to get two starts this week. He'll kick off his week in Arizona on Tuesday, and then he'll wrap things up in Milwaukee on Sunday. Don't necessarily love that second matchup against Milwaukee. feel like this is an offense that is on the rise with Roddy Telez, as we talked about earlier with the addition of Eduardo Escobar. But I do like the Arizona start, and don't fear the Milwaukee one to the extent that I want to fade Cueto altogether. I'm on board here. Are you joining me? Now, I'm going to go the other way, and certainly I would feel really good about starting Cueto against the Diamondbacks if it's a daily league where I can pick and choose. But for a mm-hmm. weekly league, I think uh, that Brewer start is just a little too scary and don't want to take the chance. Yeah, Brewer's uh, a team that, as I like, there's just, I don't know, man, there's too much talent on that offense for them to be this bad all season. I mean, bad's a little bit of a misnomer there, but uh, just this average all season and I like the moves that they made leading up to the deadline so I understand that but I'm still on board I like that Arizona start for Cueto enough to chance it with the Brewers over the weekend Uh, one more guy to talk about and then we'll lump some two-star pitchers together Michael Walker is going to get a couple of starts this week Seattle and Baltimore so Seattle and Baltimore will just sort of uh, trade spots they're both playing the Yankees they're both both playing the Rays and Walker will get starts against each of those teams Uh, I I think it was you Al right I mean what was that like a week ago when you, you were out there pronouncing Michael Walker back. So I have to believe you are all in on this two-start week here. I am all in. And Tyler McGill is my favorite streamer out of this group that we talked about so far, but he's less, far less available than Waka. So mm-hmm. if McGill's not out there, Waka is the, the streamer that I want to go with this week. So uh, yeah, love the recent trend, like the matchups. Uh, so I'm all in here. Major, major win upside. Just sort of scanning over all of these guys and the teams they're playing, just doing a, a quick scan. It feels like no one can come close to matching the win upside that Waka has against Seattle and Baltimore. McGill, the better pitcher. I'm with you. If I can get McGill, he would be the first one I would go after. But um, and just Tampa is going to be overwhelming favorites, I think, in these games against Seattle and Baltimore. So feel pretty good about Michael Waka there. Maybe Tyler McGill comes close in the Mets against Miami and Philly. Definitely the top two guys to be going after for two start weeks. Let's just group together some guys here who are also making two starts this week. Taylor Widener is going to get that same San Francisco-San Diego uh, grouping that Madison Bumgarner is. I think that's probably an easy pass. Garrett Richards will be at Detroit and at Toronto. I think that's also probably a pretty easy pass. Chad Cool at Milwaukee and at Cincinnati. I think that falls into the maybe bin. Chris Flexen at Tampa at the Yankees. We know, we know Chris Flexen. He's had a better season than a lot of us were expecting. Those are two pretty tough matchups. Dane Dunning versus the Angels and at Oakland. Steven Matz versus Cleveland and versus Boston. Is there anyone in that group? Al Widener, Richards, Cool, Flexen, Dunning, Matz that you want to make an argument for? Not really, to be honest. Uh, I'd say the closest probably would be Dane Dunning. I don't really like the start against the Angels. That start at Oakland is definitely a good matchup that Dunning is capable of taking advantage of. So if I were forced to take one of them, it would be Dunning very easily. But uh, yeah, Flexen, I'm really still only trusting him either at home or with really good matchups. He has neither this Mm -hmm. week and nobody else here really interests me very much. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. I think maybe, again, when uh, when, we, when we're talking about our weekend pitchers to stream uh, and we'll have Willie Peralta in there at Cleveland, we'll have Dane Dunning in there also at Oakland, but that Angels one I could easily stay away from. And again, just because there are two start pitchers available doesn't mean you have to stream a guy who's got two starts. Sometimes it's good to just talk these things through, think about them, and take a pass. We're probably taking a pass on that entire group of guys. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, now let's wrap things up here with relievers. Here's what I want to do. I just want to talk about all the relief situations, all the bullpen situations that have changed as a result of the trade deadline because there are a bunch of them. And let's just look at who we think is going to close in those situations. Some of them are pretty clear and obvious. Some of them maybe is going to take some figuring out. Some of them maybe are going to have guys who are sharing the role, but we know there are going to be some big, big changes. Let's just start with one, the one that I think is the most clear and obvious. It's in Pittsburgh. Richard Rodriguez goes to Atlanta. This is David Bednar, right? Yeah, no question there. So once uh, Rodriguez was traded, that uh, that switch is flipped. And uh, yeah, I, I think you can feel pretty safe about him getting the vast majority of the save opportunities in Pittsburgh, such as that may be. Such as that may be, exactly. There may not be a ton of them, but David Bednar will get them. I think he's the one guy who we can say 100% of the save opportunities are going to go to him unless he just totally gets blown up and they have to do something else. Derek Shelton has to make a move elsewhere, but he is very, very clearly the guy to the extent that no one else stepping into a role is going to be. Let's go to Chicago. Obviously, Craig Kimbrell makes the move across town. He joins the White Sox and just... I mean, what a ridiculous lineup or a bullpen that team's got. I mean, forget about if you're if you're losing after the seventh inning, just forget about beating the White Sox. And I mean, there's so many good arms in front of Kimbrel and Liam Hendricks as well. So White Sox very well set up for the postseason. But now you look at the Cubs. Not only did they trade Craig Kimbrell, they also traded Andrew Chafin. He goes to Oakland. Ryan Tapera, another one of those great arms at the back end of the White Sox bullpen now. And so you're looking at a situation in Chicago where Dan Winkler and Rex Brothers are still there and probably the top guys on the roster right now. But Rowan Wick, someone who we were very excited about last year, is just about back with the Cubs. And I would have to say that he is the favorite to close games for the team the rest of the season. How are you looking at this Cubs bullpen? Well, there's another name that I'm, you know, I think that we should talk about, and I'm, I'm a little surprised that you didn't tag Hoyer as uh, a possible uh, closer option there with the, the yep. acquisition of Cody Hoyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, just snuck a little pun in there for. <laughs> <laughs> it's never good. I never good when you actually have to call. When you have that. to, when you have to point out, when you have yeah. to point out the pun that you, uh, that you, yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe I'm the maybe I'm adult for just for missing it, but now, uh, yeah. I get it, and I think you're. I, I think you're. I think you are uh, right there because I mean that was you know Nick Madrigal is a a, a nice piece for the Cubs to uh, have going into next season, but uh, Cody Hewer, Hoyer, uh, however you you say the name there, um, is definitely someone who has some high leverage ability, some back end of the bullpen uh, stuff, and maybe the Cubs do try him out there. I still feel like Rowan Wick when he's there is going to get the first shot at the saves for the rest of the season, but definitely the acquisition is someone who we should be looking at. You'd be going after him before you're going after Wick. I, I have already, actually. So uh, now you've got me rethinking that. Um, I, I, you know, my, my gut is actually that this is a situation that really could just be very fluid for a while yeah. now, which kind of ruins it for everybody involved. But uh, I, I'm not confident. But yeah, I guess, you know, I put my money where my mouth is on, on Cody Hoyer uh, in some initial bidding. So, uh, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I guess it's just my gut feeling. He did already pitch well in his uh, first outing with the Cubs, made an outing for them on Saturday and uh, threw the ball well, got a you know meaningless hold. For what it's worth, Kyle Ryan picked up the save against Washington uh, on Saturday, but still really don't think that he's going to be too much of a factor in that mix. Uh, let's go to the Marlins. Yimi Garcia is now in Houston, so that opens the door to what I'm thinking is an Anthony Bender-Dylan Floro mix. I don't know if either one of these guys pulls away with the job entirely. Are you in agreement with them, and do you have a favorite if you can only have one 
If I can only have one, it would be Bender. I suspect he will probably get a few more looks in, in the ninth inning. But generally, yeah, I agree with that assessment. And uh, I think we'll see a little bit of Dylan Floro too. Yeah, let's move over to Texas then. Uh, Ian Kennedy, no longer there. Another name that we knew was going to be making a move at the deadline and uh, took a little longer. Then it was one of the last trades, I feel like, that came through. But ultimately, the Rangers were able to swing a deal. And so I think Spencer Patton is probably the guy to go after here. Maybe Joe Barlow is involved in that uh, ninth inning mix. But uh, this is one where it's like it's just as easy for me to prioritize Patton as it is to prioritize Bednar in Pittsburgh. But I don't think that Patton's got the role to the 100% extent that Bednar does. No, I I think that's absolutely correct. So not a top, top priority. But again, in leagues where saves are scarce, I think Patton is definitely a a name that you throw in the mix there. Arizona, another team that uh, maybe not going to be producing too many save opportunities the rest of the season. But Joakim Soria had been getting the bulk of the opportunities. He is now gone. Is this Tyler Clippard or bust in Arizona? I think it is. And I'm actually, as much as I guess I can say this, uh, kind of excited about that because... Hey, they might <laughs> win like 10 games the rest of the season. Yeah, and uh, they'll probably be close. <laughs> so, I mean, we've seen you know we've seen plenty of precedents before of teams that don't win a lot of games that still yeah, manage to sure. provide a lot of save opportunities. And Clippard's got a long track record of being closer worthy, so... Yeah, I, I, you know, as compared to some of these other uh, folks that are, are new to closing, I'm, I'm kind of excited about that for Clippard. Yeah, I think that at least he has that, right? I mean, he's got that, that mentality and he has the experience and that could definitely play to his benefit in Arizona. One more team to look at here, Al. It is the Washington Nationals. Brad Hand and Daniel Hudson were a very effective one-two punch for them in the back of the bullpen. They are no longer in Washington. How are you looking at this Washington bullpen uh, for save opportunities the rest of the way? I think Finnegan is the the pitcher to target right now. And, you know, given the, the closer landscape, I'm not sure what to expect the rest of the season. But that's not, I don't really focus on that as much as I used to. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just have to look at these things a few weeks at a time. And Finnegan seems to be the primary guy right now. For now, I'm definitely targeting Kyle Finnegan. All right, Al. All of these, I would say Bednar and, Bednar and Bender were maybe on the radar before this. Really no one else here. So a lot of these guys are going to be available uh, in leagues this uh, this weekend. Let's wrap up the show with this. Bednar, obviously, is the number one guy to go after. Rank the rest of them. Who are you? How are you prioritizing your closer bids behind David Bednar uh, this weekend? I'm actually going to go Tyler Clippard next. And then uh, Finnegan, Bender, I think those four are head and shoulders above everybody else just because of uh, clearness of role and job security. And then, like I said, I kind of like the idea of speculating on Hoyer. Um, Patton, I, I think, has maybe of uh, the rest of them a better chance at just having bulk opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much where I stand with this group. All right. It's, uh, it's going to be an interesting figuring out period over these next couple of weeks for teams that uh, have had such a bullpen shuffle. And it's something that we'll be watching, of course, in the fantasy baseball world. And something, Al, that you and I will probably revisit next week uh, when we are back here on the waiver edition of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. That's going to do it for this edition of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast, taking a look at waivers. So thanks to everyone for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. You know that whole good deal. And you can get 30 off a subscription at The Athletic right now. Go to theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball pod to get in the door. For Al Melchior, I am Michael Beller. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and good luck on all those fat bits later today. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.